Psalm 31 through 12. You, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried out to you and you healed me. O Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. You have kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Now in my prosperity I said I shall never be moved. Lord, by your favor you have made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, and I was troubled. I cried out to you, O Lord, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood? When I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. To, that, to the end, that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Thanks, Scott. So David was kind of leading another worship service, I'm guessing early in the morning. we just go with that thought. No way to prove it, but I like it, so we'll work with it. Um, and he says in verse 1, we're just going to go through these verses like we usually do, but verse 1 he said, I extol you. And to extol someone is to basically lift them up, put them on a pedestal, get them up high where you can you know, you elevate their value in your life, so you extol them. What's really odd, though, is he says then, the reason I lift you up is because you lifted me up. And it fits the pattern, doesn't it? We love him because why? He first loved us. Um, God Almighty was in heaven, and one day he came to earth. We were just singing about it, took on form of humanity, the God-man who went to Calvary to pay for sins. And he rescued us, and he saved us, and he has lifted us up. And what do we do in return? We extol him. It fits the pattern. Now, I don't think David knew all that when he wrote this. But what's really interesting is that the Old Testament always fits the New Testament pattern. And the New Testament always fits the Old Testament pattern. And there you have it. And you've not let my foes rejoice over me. You know, David was kind of a warrior. And if, if you're a warrior and a warrior king and you're out fighting battles, what is the one way in which the enemies would rejoice after a battle? What's the one thing that would have to happen in order for the enemies to rejoice? Death. Whose? King David's, right? And so he is 
thanking the Lord in this little worship thing that he is still alive, that he has survived all of these battles. <clears throat> now, we don't really know much about why this psalm was written. It says here something about dedication of his house, and that might very well be. But was David ever wounded in battle? I don't think the Bible says so everywhere. Nor does it say where he was really sick anywhere in the Bible. But if we read about some of the Psalms, he said, you know, my bones were coming undone in my flesh and all that. I was sick, but he was sick because of the sin he had committed. Something to do with killing his best friend and stealing his wife. You know, but he finally woke up to this, how evil and wrong all of that was, and it literally made him physically sick. And maybe that's the event he's talking about in this psalm, but we're going to move through it anyway, but we don't know. It doesn't really say. And there are a lot of things in the Bible that the Bible doesn't really explain or shed light on. Now, the value of that for us is exactly this, that we have the opportunity to just leave it alone. And we can still extol, lift up our great God and give praise to him that our enemies are not rejoicing over us, that we have been saved. We have been delivered from a lot of things. Some of us have been delivered from great illness, whatever. But the main thing, whether no matter what the problem is that we as Christians are suffering or enduring, we can identify with David because it is open-ended, we can identify with him and know that God still cares, still loving, and still working at delivering us. And the ultimate delivery is the day we hear the shout. The ultimate delivery is the day we are absent from the body and present with the Lord, where we can see him face to face. That day is coming, and he is still coming. And all of this that we endure down here, that all seems to be so very important to every one of us, is only important because our feet are too closely attached to the ground. And we think this is the only place, that this is the most important area, this place, to hear the now, the life, the car, the boat, the house, the bank account, the family, whatever. It, oh, it's not important? Well, sure it's important. But it's not all there is. It's just not all there is. And so we struggle with all of these things in real time, in real life. But there is a God that's bigger than all of it, that understands every problem that we're facing. And if we would just lift him up and say, Lord, I am in the midst of a battle. Preserve me through it. And I've said a number of times, and I'll still say it because I believe it, the worst thing that could happen to me here ushers me into the best thing that will ever happen for all eternity. Why is this place so important to us? Why are we so frustrated when things don't go the way we think they should go? And David says, you know, Lord, my enemies are not rejoicing over me. Lord, I cried out to you, and you healed me. Well, what was he stabbed? Was it war injury? What disease was it? What sickness was it? But yet he's still giving thanks to God. And every one of us, as we move through life day by day, should be giving thanks for every trial even. 
every heartache, every problem, as well as all those moments of rejoicing and gladness and the happy times. I mean, shouldn't we not give thanks to God for all of it? Should I receive from the Lord good only and bad? I mean, how does that work? Yeah, all of it. Look to him. David uses the word healed seven times in the Bible. Seven. I'd need another hand for that. <laughs> seven times in the, in the Psalms, in the book of Psalms. And practically every one of them, if you read the context of the Psalm, it talks about sin. And even when David was greatly sick and his bones were sore, it was related to a sin. And Oh, so you're saying that all sickness is sin-related? No, I didn't say that at all. We did that a couple months ago. We're not doing that again. But anyway, some sin is. It's like when I was taking speed on a regular basis back in the 70s, you know, for about eight months, nine months, every day, seven, eight, nine hits of speed every day, I got down to a very unhealthy situation with my body. Is it sin-related? Yes, it was. You know what changed that for me? Coming to know the Lord. Coming to see Him. And beginning to lift Him up. as having value over all the other stuff in my life. Now, I've been at it 50-some years. And uh, some things have been fixed. And maybe some other. I may die of cancer tomorrow. I don't know. Is all sickness related to sin? Not necessarily. But ever since Adam and Eve, sin and sickness and sorrow and suffering and pain, it's all been in the world. But there's a day coming. There's a day coming when all of it will be gone. It'll be over. The test of our faith will be behind us. We'll see the great king and the beauty of his holiness and everything that he's intended for us will be revealed in a way like, oh, I didn't see that coming. No way. But it's coming. And he's coming. David said this, Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul. It's that psalm, but he says uh, in verse 3, Who forgives all my iniquities, who heals all my diseases. Again, tying it together with a certain amount of sin. And I think many of our problems could possibly go away if we were more focused on things that are important. And I think that's why David is writing this psalm. Lord, Lord, Lord. And stay focused on him. And do things that he would do. To do it the way God would want us to do it. As opposed to some of our own ideas. When you get to verse 3, he says, Oh Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. You have kept me alive. Well, there you have the soul in one. How do you put a soul in a grave? What are we talking about? Well, he says, kept me alive. Well, that would be the physical body. So we're talking about soul and body. So I should not go down into the pit, the grave, the grave, the grave. So, Lord, I'm lifting you up because you're the one who has lifted me up. In Ephesians, it tells us that while we were dead in our sins, that Christ Jesus has lifted us up and set us in the heavenly places with himself. The, uh, the soul and the body and death and life and all of that 
comes together in the mind of God somewhere, but if our minds are fixed on him, stop worrying about the brevity of this life. It's a vapor, it's a gas, it's a fading of a leaf. It really doesn't amount to much. I got 70 years in already. I don't know where the time went. I think, Gerald, you just had a birthday, didn't you? You're about to. Lane's about to have one. I mean, where did 80 years go? You guys find that out? No. Maybe just time, time, time. Our feet are so close to the ground that we forget to look up sometimes and say, Lord, I'm all yours. Help me today. Help me to just keep my faith. Take care of my soul. Take care of my body. Just help me to keep loving you, trusting you. Love God. Serve others. Keep going. Keep moving. So David then turns to the saints in verse 4, and he says to the Old Testament believers, here's what you do, guys. Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his. Who do they belong to? The saints, I mean. Who? They, yeah, they belong to God. So New Testament saints, who do we belong to? It's a pattern, doesn't it? It's all the same. And what are they supposed to do? Give thanks to the remembrance of his holy name. What are we supposed to do? Same thing. Every Sunday, we get together and we give thanks. Give thanks. We just sang the song, didn't we? Yeah. Give thanks. Give thanks. Next week, remember me. Do this in remembrance of me because of what he has done for us. It all fits the pattern. And David says to these Old Testament saints, be thankful people. Give thanks. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. That's a New Testament verse. But everything, give thanks. Why? Well, his anger is but for a moment. His favor, life. Those words in italics aren't really there. They stick them in to try to make a little better sense out of it. But look at that. His anger is a moment. But his favor is life. Does God get angry with us? Yeah. You know what's really interesting? One day a couple thousand years ago, he was really angry at sin. And he judged sin, all of it, on the cross at Calvary. It's all been paid for. He judged it all for a moment on the cross at Calvary when God himself in human flesh, took upon himself the sins of the world and paid for it and put them away. Now, his favor, his grace, there's life. Whoever believes in the Son has life. Is God mad at you for what you did yesterday? He may not have liked what I did yesterday, but 2,000 years ago, he paid for what I did yesterday. And he's already forgiven me for that. And what I have because of the relationship with him is the favor of life. And it never ends. It's a never-ending life of favor with the God that we trust. Anybody here perfect? I'm the only one, I guess. Got my arm out. Yeah, okay, I'll give you that. Kurt's pretty close. You know what I mean? It's like none of us are perfect, and none of us are better than the other. And on a scale of 1 to 10, who cares? The reality is Jesus crucified the scale system. It's done. It's gone. It's behind us. 
It doesn't matter to compare yourself with other people or what. I mean, Jesus has paid for all of my wrongness. And in his grace, he decided not to reveal it all to me at once because had he showed me 50 years ago everything that needed to change, I think it would have been like a steamroller. There wouldn't have been much left of us. And God, like a gentle shepherd, in the person of Jesus, our great shepherd, and through the Holy Spirit of God and the power that's been given to us through the resurrection, he is shepherding our lives. Your life different than your life. But God, the great shepherd, individually is leading each one of us gently like little lambs to the place we're going, to the place he has prepared for us. The favor of his life. But in the moments, you know, there's some hardships day to day. You know, maybe what you did yesterday or the story you heard or the people who passed away that we loved and cared for. There's a hard night coming. I mean, someday, maybe this week, maybe next, but we're going to get the phone call. You know what I'm saying? We're going to get that call, and it's going to be heart-wrenching. And the weeping, and the harshness, and Lord, why, why, why? And again, we have no answers, but we know we can trust him. Because this life isn't that long, it's short. And in that hardness and in that sorrow and in that tough place, we can rest on a verse like this that says, hang on, brother, hang on, sister, because joy is coming. The relief is on the way. I don't know when we're going to see it. Ultimately, the joy that we're going to see, the, the squeal and whirl, that's what the word means. You know, like little girls playing in a sunlight dancing or whatever. Dancing comes up in this verse, too. The squeal and the whirl of joy Woo! is coming. When we see Jesus, it's going to be like, whoo, and dancing, you know. Be good stuff. It's just coming. Joy is coming. It's on the way. And this is what David is telling the Christians. And then we get to verse 6, and he says, now listen. Here's where I made my big mistake. I was foolish enough and dumb enough to think I shall never be moved. Why? Why did he say that? What was he trusting in based on that verse? Say it really loud. His own what? The what? There it is. Thank you, Koa. Riches and prosperity. We're going to make him a deacon in the church, I'm telling you. <laughs> prosperity. David was trusting in his own wealth and abilities. All of a sudden, he thought, man, look at me on the holy mountain, Jerusalem. I'm up on the big hill. I'm the guy. I got the gold crown. I got the power. I can do the stuff. In my prosperity, I said, I've arrived. Nobody's moving me. That's where David was. And he says, verse 7, Lord, by your favor, the favor we were just talking about, you have made my mountain stand strong. And now you try to rationalize those two. Wait a minute. He says, his prosperity got him. Now, well, who? I think it's a case of verse 7. He's now saying, here was my problem. Verse 6, rather. Here's my problem. I was proud. 
But I realized that it was the Lord's favor that built this mountain. It's the Lord's favor that put the temple eventually in Jerusalem. It's the Lord's favor that put David as king over Israel in Jerusalem. But they said, you know, Lord, it was your favor that made my mountain stand strong, but you hid your face and I was troubled. Well, why did the Lord hide his face when David was doing so well as king, hadn't lost any battles, had everything he ever wanted? And there's that tension between those two verses. And it's like, you hid your face and I was in, when I was in trouble. Where are you? What are you doing? Why are you hiding? And I think the Lord just said back to him something like this. I was hiding. Well, actually, I wasn't hiding at all. The reason it felt like I was hiding is because your eyes were full of your own prosperity. You're so full of yourself, you can't see what's really going on. You are so full of your own riches and glory that you missed the real fact that that favor came from me. And so he's starting to outline this for the congregation in verse 7. It was by the Lord's favor, but I felt like he was hiding, and I felt like I was in big trouble. And he was struggling with that in the moment of balancing that out, and how, do I, what's, what, how did I get here? You're talking about a shepherd boy who wasn't smart enough to come in out of the rain. He was just out there because daddy told him to go out there and do it. And he was faithful. He loved the Lord, whatever. Lions and tigers and giants and whatever else he killed. What a guy. It struggles in his life. He, they anointed him king. And then the real king chased him around the woods for 20 years or however long it was. Wouldn't let him reign as king. And... The struggle that this man had in his faith walk, believing that God was in his life to do these things, and he gets to Jerusalem finally, and he says, oh man, look what I did. And why are you hiding from me? I got trouble today. Come back down here and help me out. Well, change the way you think about things. And every one of us have that same challenge, don't we? We're so myopic at times, we, the only thing we can see is ourselves. You know, single vision of me. And where's God in all of that? He isn't. When I'm thinking about me, God is not in that unless I think I'm God. And that's a problem for some people. But he, he says in verse 8 then, Lord, I cried out to you. You're the only God that I've been talking to all my life. It's to you I've made all my supplications. There are no other false gods. I'm not worshiping anybody but you. You know that. Okay, so I had bad vision for a while, and I thought I was really something. But the fact is, God, you're the only one I've ever been praying to. You're the only one I've been seeking. It's you and you alone. It's your holy name is the one that I'm basing and resting my life upon. And he's calling out to the Lord again. <clears throat> we get to verse 9. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? That's why I wonder, did he get wounded in a battle? It's like, my blood's running out. And if I die, what good am I to you, O oh God? You know, my blood's running out. What good am I to you if I'm dead? I, I think God is saying back, 
what good are you if you don't die to yourself first? There's a difference. You're so full of yourself, Carl, that it's a hard time for me to do anything in Freeport because it's all about you. You know, are we that way? Are we caught up in, look at my kingdom? That's, what, that's where David was for a minute. But I wonder, did he really get wounded? Is that what prompted verse 9 and the healing thing in the chapter? Was, was David kind of living a kind of a proud, arrogant charge one time? You know, here I go, I'm going to go out and save Israel again. And maybe he took an arrow or got a, we don't know. The Bible doesn't say. And I enjoy making stuff up, so that's what I'm telling you. So, But it could be. But nonetheless, it fits the story. Whatever happened, whether it was true or not, David was seeing himself as being, you know, in this life, in this place, I have a chance to worship God, to be thankful to my God. And if I'm dead, that is over. When, when you know, the dead thing comes, it's over. I have no more opportunity on earth to praise him. So maybe, maybe the one thing he's trying to say is, let's just praise him while we're still young. His son Solomon said, remember now the creator in the days of your youth. Start while you're young. That's what Solomon said. It's in the end of Ecclesiastes. But what profit is there if I'm in the pit? Will the dust praise? You know, who's going to speak the truth? If I, your king, am dead, who's going to teach the people the truth? And now, throw some other thoughts in just to mix it up a bit, but if I'm physically sick and I'm kind of mad at God because of it, I'm not praising him and I'm not teaching anything to anybody that's true or good. If if I'm emotionally disturbed about something and I'm upset with God over that, there's no praise going on and there's no teaching. My life isn't teaching anyone about faith in God. You know, if I'm spiritually weak, same story, emotionally, physically, mentally. So getting everything in perspective that the great king is still on the throne like we read about last week and that he are being our great savior that there is some benefit physically emotionally spiritually mentally to spending time with each other spending time in the word spending time thinking about good things and really wrestling the best we can now in every one of those categories, there's a whole lot of stuff that could go on. You know, I mean, a whole lot of problems that might take more professional help or whatever than what we're simply talking about tonight. But that was David's struggle, and he's asking the Lord about it. And there's a good place to start. Lord, what, what, if, I, what if I die? I mean, who's going to do the teaching? Who's going to lead the worship service? I mean, how's it all going to work? And what's my role in it, Lord? How do I go forward from here? But as long as I'm alive and there's still blood in my veins and mentally I'm in good shape, I want to keep doing what you've called me to do. And it should be the prayer of every one of us, which I think is really what he's trying to say. 
long as I'm here, upright, Lord, let me be that man. Let me be your man. Let me be your woman. You get to verse 10, he screams out and he says, here, listen up. In, in, in the word, the old Hebrew word has to do with a voice that's calling, and he's calling you to action. So David is trying to boss God around. He said, now listen up. I've been praying here for a long time. I'm not saying I'm a righteous man, but please let this day be good. Uh, it's a different song. Anyway, David is hollering at God. I want you to hear. Have you ever done that? Go out in the woods and just say, are you listening to me? Have you any idea what I'm going through down here? That's, that's kind of what's behind this word. Not only that, but... I want you to hear, Lord, and I want you to fix the problem. I want action. I want a touch of obedience, which is actually in the definition of the word. Say, so is he trying to boss God around? <clears throat> well, I think the answer is found in the great Shema. You've heard of that? It's in Deuteronomy 6. We've got it on the screen here. It's small print, but listen up, Israel. Same word. When God himself said to Israel, now I want you to think about David. Did David live up to this passage? O Lord, our God, the Lord is one. And the Lord says to Israel, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Is the word of God in your heart? What role does the word of God play in David's heart? Well, he wrote a lot of it. He, he wrote the scripture Seven, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. The word of God should be involved in our lives. And I think that fits the pattern of what David is saying because David was a man of faith. He really was. And so when he said to God, I want you to hear, it's because God had already asked him to listen also. And they had a relationship whereby they could communicate. And God is hearing every time we call out. So much so in the New Testament, it says that our Savior ever lives to make intercession for us. And it says in our Hebrew study again, that we have boldness to walk into the throne room before the great king and say, hey, Lord, you got a minute? I want to talk to you. Can you hear what I'm saying? And it's fine, because God is okay with that. You shall bind the word on your hand. The things we do with our hands, is it according to Scripture? Does it fit the pattern? The good stuff, bad stuff, what are we doing? And they shall be as frontlets. Is that like eyeglasses or something? So if I had rose-colored glasses, what would I see? Everything would be tinted rose. Yeah. So if I had scripture-tinted glasses and I, my worldview was biblical, then I would start discerning right and wrong, good and evil, based on what the scripture has to say. Let it be your eyes. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates so that when you're coming and going, you have scripture or write about 150 Psalms. And this is what David did. He, he wrote, he was involved in the word of God. And he said then in verse 10, hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. He's begging for more mercy from God. The Old Testament was the book of mercy, the whole thing. 
And it says so in the commandments when it said, show mercy to thousands of those that love me. Do you love the Lord with your heart, soul, and strength? And those that keep my commandments, which is evidence of the love. You get to verse 11, and he says, You've turned my mourning into dancing. Twist and shout. Giggle and whirl. I mean, what a, what a way to have a worship service, huh? The Baptists be rolling over in their graves, man, I tell you. All right. You put on sackcloth. Put off my sackcloth. Burlap sack type stuff, you know. And clothe me with gladness. Now, you take that literal, and that's quite a picture. Just saying. It might mean something about how David was dancing before the Lord. But if you, if we're so focused on what God has done for us, we should be the happiest people on the planet. And not necessarily our outward appearance as clothing, something visible, but something internal that produces some kind of joy, gladness thing that people can see and say, you know, I don't know what's wrong with you, but I want it. You know, I don't know why you're so peaceful, calm, and happy all the time. But if it has anything to do with Jesus, man, I want it. And that's, that's what David's getting at. And then he says, Lord, be my helper, be my easer, my helper person. You know who the first person was that was called the easer, the helper? Eve. Yeah. Isn't that cool? And the second person was God himself. So all y'all men better listen up to your wives when they're talking because they are an easer just like God is an easer, a helper. So if, if the Lord God came in and says, hey, Carl, I think you should do this, I should pay attention to that because he is my helper, my easer. So when Dale comes in and says, Carl, I want you to do this or that, I should pay attention to that and say, no way, I'm not doing that. No, I should pay attention to that because there is a literal sense in which she is the voice of God in my life. Because she sees things differently than I do, and I ought to pay attention to that. But by the same token, every husband should be looking to God as she's looking to God to be a helper. Every husband should be looking to God to be the lover in her life as well, to cherish her and the one who takes care of us. That's another whole sermon thing. But David wanted God to be his helper. Whatever this thing was that he was going through, he knew that God was the one who would show mercy, would be his helper. And in verse 12, the reality of this whole thing coming together is that David's life produced glory to the name of his Savior. And glory, honor, praise, dignity, reverence, reputation, and abundance is all in that idea of showing glory. And that glory was turned into a song, a song of praise. Let my song join the one that never ends. Amen, amen. An eternal song of praise. I will give thanks to you. How long? That's a long time. And so David isn't worried about his salvation. He plans to hit the pit someday, to be in the grave someday. He knows that's coming. In a sense, he's surrendering his life to God Almighty for the day when it comes. But no matter what happens, I will be in the house of the king, praising him forever. And the song starts here. Whatever the hardship, the heartache, the sorrow, whatever it is we're going through, it starts right here.
And that glory, because the way we handle it, that glory becomes an eternal song of praise. I don't know how it works, but I get the feeling that the stuff that we do here that honors him somehow carries on an eternal praise to God Almighty. He counts it as praise to his holy name. Now, last slide. The great morning is coming. Here's some questions, and Joe and Amanda will come up and sing here in a minute. So the questions are, the great morning, yeah, the great morning of joy is coming. But do we love the Lord with our heart, soul, and strength? Do we trust him for our life here on earth, come what may? And are we thankful people? He certainly is, and there are times when we just don't feel like it. We're thinking he's hiding, but that's not the problem. A guy I knew in seminary by the name of Bill McDonald, put that last slide up, Bryce, thanks. I'm going to read this to you, what he wrote about this psalm. I don't know what this psalm does to you, but it makes me feel ashamed. I think of all the times I've been sick, and of the urgent, desperate prayers with which I stormed the gates of heaven. And how the Lord graciously answered. But then I forgot to come before him with a thank offering of praise. I took the healing too much for granted. 
I neglected to express my thanks. Bill is a great man, walked with the Lord, and yet he struggles too. And we all do. So we have an awesome God on the throne, and he cares about each and every one of us. He loves us where we are. He knows what we're made of, and he's ready to help. Keep faith. Keep trusting him. Lord, we just ask your blessing as we go. Help us to keep these things in mind throughout the week. Bless the weekend and the work that we're trying to accomplish in Jesus' name. Amen.